the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, January 30th, 2023. Our phone number is 602-508-0960, 602-5080-960. Anything on your mind? Something tells me it's going to be a busy week. We've got some great guests coming up for you today, but uh, always love uh, hearing from you. Bill, did you watch any football this weekend, or is the band still in place? Not a second. There you go. And this is someone who knows sports and knows football and used to love it, right? Right. Well, I guess it will be Kansas City versus uh, Philadelphia. Someone said uh, Philadelphia should probably now take the mantle as the new America's team, as opposed to the appellation that belonged to Dallas. Um, I don't know that any of them are America's team anymore <laughs> the way they, the, for the reason that you don't watch them, right? For the very reasons you keep running it down. It's not going to it's not going to find much sucker to call any of these teams. You know why how Dallas got the name America's team? It was I think it was just because they were on TV so much, if I'm not mistaken. Right. I understand it was a marketing thing, but I think Tech Schramm was the president of the team. Back OK. Then. Well, I mean, it's a great marketing team when you believe in America, and America is seen as a uh, as a as a high value commodity rather than a down market one. Um, so maybe being called America's team isn't what you want. I don't know. Dennis Prager made a great observation, um, asked a great question on his show earlier today. He often asks about if your college student son or daughter, grandson or granddaughter, comes back wise or smarter. From having gone to college today, he asked, do they come back more kind? Do they come back nicer, more decent? It's an interesting question. You know, when I think about education generally, I often quote this letter um, to the late and uh, famous uh, child psychologist, Haim Ginot. Uh, a teacher wrote him this. She wrote, I am a survivor of a concentration camp. My eyes saw what no person should witness. Gas chambers built by learned engineers, children poisoned by educated physicians, infants killed by trained nurses, women and children shot and killed by high school and college graduates. So I'm suspicious of education. My request is help your students be human. Your efforts must never produce learned monsters, skilled psychopaths, or educated Eichmanns. Reading and writing and spelling and history and arithmetic are only important if they serve to make our students human, close quote. And I suppose in a way, I don't, I, I didn't, wasn't able to hear it all. I don't think Dennis quoted that line or that, uh, used that quote. I'm not sure if, if uh, it's come across him before. But that is effectively the question he was asking. Are the colleges and universities making our students more humane, more human? That, after all, if you think about it, would be the purpose of a humanities department, wouldn't it? Um, yes, to educate people in the mind, but also, if not the morals, then at least the decencies of life. Are our colleges, then, the question becomes, breeding humanity and thus more humans. Given the political and philosophical outlook, outlook these young men and women leave college with, 
primarily radical and radicalized Marxism, it's an interesting question. What is the relationship between politics and humanity and decency? What is the relationship between what people get in so-called higher education and something we used to call quite routinely the humanities? And I was speaking about that, especially this weekend, as I was I was given a unique honor uh, and privilege of being inducted into a fraternity and uh, as an honorary member. And I thought about that word, fraternity. The first college fraternity in America came about and was born here just about the time of our founding, a founding that took place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Philadelphia. There it is again. The city of brotherly love, which is what, of course, Philadelphia means in the Greek, Philadelphia, brotherly love. The city, sadly, is now one of the most angry and violent places in America. But once it was known as a place of brotherly love, Quakers, right? Fraternity. And gave us, of course, the document that established that notion as the founding point, as the Fonzette Origio of our nation, that we are all created equal. Thus, brothers are brethren in a political sense as well. We were all created equal. We were all brethren. All that came from Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And what what one asks changed? What made that city so embittered? What made that city such of one of turmoil? What made that city so bitter and angry? Mores. Mores can move and change a place. So can politics, customs and mores and politics. So can education or rather bad mores, bad politics, and bad education. Bad mores, bad politics would include, of course, racialization, the very thing that is antithetical to all of us being created equal, pitting human being against each other based on characteristics other than their humanness, other than the precept or what Abraham Lincoln called an axiom, a truth, that all men are created equal. And that, of course, takes us to another city, doesn't it? Takes us to Memphis. Memphis. A once polite and decent city, of course, with huge problems, but known for southern charm. And we have this terrible, terrible Tyree Nichols death which is the touchstone of all it's being known for and all it will be known for, at least right now and for the foreseeable future. His gruesome death, I will take any adjective you think better, his gruesome death was at the hands of men of his same race, but they were police. And so we must still find a way to racialize this because we have to racialize anything that involves the police, don't we? And Van Jones over at CNN didn't let us down. He wrote, just because the police were black themselves does not dismiss the racism that might have motivated the police killing of Tyree Nichols. Charles Blow of the New York Times is making the same case. Of a sudden, to these leftists, it turns out African-Americans can be racists, I suppose, which is news to those who for years have been saying things like racial minorities cannot ipso facto be racists because they lack power or privilege or white power or white privilege. So what do you do 
when you get someone like this, Larry Elder was the white, was, excuse me, Larry Elder was made by the LA Times the black face of white supremacy. Maybe police is the blue uniform and the new face of white supremacy. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe we should make Louis Farrakhan an honorary member of the police force or Ilan Omar so they can finally be discharged for their bigotry. Maybe that's all it takes is donning the uniform of the police to make you a credibly accused racist, even if your skin color wouldn't naturally match the skin color that is usually charged with racism, especially against a minority. But the blaming of race here as the wholesale blaming of the police force generally highlights something that we maybe ought to take a big step back from, as I guess we're going to have to have these conversations for some time. And it's the issue of collective responsibility and how bad an idea it is. Just because one member of one minority, a Hispanic man, a black man, a Jewish man, an Islamic man, just because one man anywhere, one person anywhere does something wrong does not and never should mean that this is representative of his entire class based on whether it's his race or his ethnicity or his nationality or his religion, because in one case, one black man may do something wrong here does not mean, obviously, that it is representative of all people who share that immutable characteristic with him. To go there is not only what we used to call prejudice and bigotry, but it's a syllogistic fallacy. Same for Jews, same for members of any group. You do not judge a group's main. You do not judge a group's mean. You do not judge a group's majority by the acts of its minority. You do not judge a large part of a decent and good thing by the failure or indecency of its extremes or asterisks. This would be a good point about political parties as well. And that same rule should apply to the police generally, too. Given the millions of arrests police make every year, here and the tens and hundreds of millions of encounters at a maximum, the use of lethal force by police in their duties given arrests is about one tenth of one percent of the time. Most of those uses justified. If speaking of other police encounters with civilians, we are in the hundreds of thousands of one percent. This is not to take away from the gruesome tragedy of Tyree Nichols for a moment. Awful awful abusive, as if there was no training at all, Heather MacDonald said when she saw the tape. But we have the perpetrators. They are individually and collectively among themselves likely guilty, and they are being treated and should be treated as such, as all guilt should be. But to extrapolate out, as Joe Biden and too many others are doing, tainting an entire profession, as has been the case for some years now with the police, and be it law enforcement, in the police or border enforcement agents, that is its own separate wrong. And in the matters of race or ethnicity, we should call that prejudice as well, prejudging after all. There's too much of that everywhere right now. Adam Carolla put it that if you continue day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out to teach, that police are your enemy and want to harm or kill you, you will raise too many who believe that, and when confronted by them, will do anything they can to resist. And that will usually end up 
very, very badly. You can do that with people of a certain race or ethnicity as well, building that distrust. Police aren't always right. No one is. But equally, they aren't always wrong. Clearly, we know more often than not they are right. We used to all know this, too. And people of one race can't be responsible for other members of their race doing things that might be right or wrong. We judge individuals here based on their individual actions. Clearly, we know this or at least used to know that, too. And shame on those, be they Van Jones or Charles Blow or anyone else that wants to teach and preach otherwise. It insulates too many who are guilty, like your Farrakhans and your Ilan Omars, and it condemns way too many who simply aren't. End of day, Michael Novak had it right. A society that venerates moral virtue has 330 million police. A society that denigrates it will never be able to hire enough. So maybe we all need to be policing our tongues a bit more and wonder which ideology has led to more violence and what has led to more, say, fraternity or brotherly love. To be sure, there's an angry right in America, but I believe it's angry for foregoing exactly what too many of the left have long forgone, the very basis of the very decency of this country, the wedding of liberty and equality. Find me a university outside of Hillsdale or a few professors here and there that teach that. And then we'll get back to teaching true humaneness and humanities. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960 is the number. A couple articles over the weekend. Well, before I get before I say that, let me preface it by saying um, there, there's going to be a, a bit of an internecine debate and argument and set of debates and arguments in our own party as uh, you see Donald Trump uh, going out uh, onto the hustings and doing a couple campaign events as he did over the weekend and the news coming out that Ron DeSantis seems to be uh, putting together his team for a presidential run. Uh, Last week was kind of a testing of the waters by Nikki Haley and Mike Pompeo is still out there giving speeches, um, uh, thinking he may may run. Um, I don't know if Mike Pence's uh, light is going to shine as brightly, given the document thing, but... He's certainly thinking about it. You know, one thing I never said about, and I kept wanting to, during the uh, Mike Pence book tour. He had his book uh, come out a few weeks ago. He's doing the rounds. I don't know if you noticed, uh, and maybe watch this, those of you who study rhetoric or like it as much as I do, or study it as much as I do. When he does interview, when he does do interviews, notice if he does this thing. I, I caught it several times. He kept talking about what we did in the Trump-Pence administration, Trump-Pence administration. I've never heard a vice president, an ex-vice president, I should say, an ex-vice president. That's an important qualifier. I've never heard an ex-vice president do that. Um, not, you, 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 they just don't do that. Um, so it's very clear that he, um, he was trying to tie himself to the successes or at least those who say – I liked the policy, but not the personality. He's running on the policy as opposed to the personality and probably running against the personality. But as um, 
as uh, argumentative or interesting or fierce as that uh, in, is that intra-party Republican fight becomes, I couldn't help but think um, maybe we're not the only party with that problem. There were a couple stories over the weekend um, along the lines of expect to see a lot more First Lady Jill Biden. Jill. I always have to say it a little stronger because it sounds like Joe. Expect to see a lot more of First Lady Jill Biden. Dr. Jill Biden, as she uh, as she insists people call her. Who was it, Sam Stone, the other day, who was saying that whenever someone who's not an MD insists on being called doctor, you can almost assuredly believe that they're punching above their weight. And um, any in any event, uh, I've worked for a lot of PhDs. Yeah, most of them never insisted on that, at least uh, not the good ones. Any any event, um, look for a lot more of Jill Biden. Why why do we think that will be the case? Well, obviously, um, the media takes uh, takes a very kind view of her, and she's fairly adept at shaming the media in, in, in doing the blocking uh, for her husband, blocking he can't do and he can't get away with. And as it will become, just as the sands of time make it so, uh, increasingly uh, unable to handle tougher and tougher questions. I mean, look at how he's handled the classified document thing. You think he's going to get better at it? Now as Russia's heating up, you think he's going to get better at it? He's not. Um, you'll probably see more Jill Biden as his blocker, as his shield, not sure who his tackle will be, but it's probably not going to be Kamala Harris. I know a lot of people are speculating and thinking Michelle Obama uh, might run. Um, I just I, I, I she hates the heat. She hates the heat. She's very comfortable. Why would she upset her life right now? But I'll tell you, for someone who's now had four or five communications directors in the last couple, three years, Going into three years now, Kamala Harris ain't getting it done either. Um, big story in the Washington Post, maybe we'll get to it more in a moment, that um, is a shot across the bow to her. Uh, it's a message to her. Here's the headline in the uh, Washington Post today, the paper that matters most to the Democratic Party, at least the Democratic Party in Washington, D.C. Here's the headline. Some Democrats are worried about Harris's political prospects. Here's the subtitle. At a pivotal point in Biden's term, many party activists are not sure the vice president has shown she is up to winning the top job. Boy, is it an unflattering profile of her. It's a news story. Um, maybe we should get into it a little bit more. It'd be fun. Um, yeah, she's not helping herself. And maybe, 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 maybe the Democrats are learning that um, the resume is not enough. The resumes are not enough. Joe Biden's long resume, hers as an AG and a senator, needs the presidency just a little bit more, starting with a brain that actually works. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. He also is the host of his own radio show, Heard Here, every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. And he brings us our culture and economy update. How are you, John? Fantastic. How's it going, Seth? I'm doing just fine. Thank you, sir. Great. Thank you. 
I love this. A, a listener called in and wanted me to throw a question directly um, to you, if I could, about uh, okay. some news. Uh, Treasury Department rulings about ERISA, E-R-I-S-A requirements and ESG. Um, ESG is, of course, we've talked about that on the show before. ESG is kind of the some of the woke stuff that's going into corporate uh, and business America. Talk to me about what what this listener is thinking about the Treasury Department, ERISA requirements, and ESG. Right. So the uh, ESG, the Environmental Social Governance, mm-hmm. and um, so. If you're participating in any type of a company-sponsored plan, such as a 401k, this is what they're talking about. Um, these are ERISA plans. These are, um, you know, federally regulated, and there are certain rules that apply to these types of plans. And uh, when President Trump was in office, uh, there was a push to get these types of investments uh, involved in 401k plans. And the Trump administration had. Um, Regulations in place in 2020 that passed, which uh, basically uh, kept those types of um, investments out of 401k plans. However, the Biden administration has overturned that, Mm -hmm. and they uh, actually now have that in place where 401ks um, now uh, can offer uh, these ESG ESG type of funds. Now, what's interesting here is, is that as an employer, an employer has an obligation uh, a regulatory obligation to provide uh, funds uh, in within the 401k plan for their employees to invest in mm-hmm. that give the best opportunity of growth and, and also low cost. So um, kind of as a fiduciary responsibility. Yes, okay. Correct. Okay. And so now if uh, we're going to be introducing these, uh, it's basically the rules are saying that the 401k companies uh, can, you know, not the company, but the employers mm-hmm. cannot choose these types of funds above others. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But they can offer these within the plan. Okay. Uh, so obviously there are going to be, uh, if probably the younger generation is probably going to be more on board with this than some of the, sure. uh, you know, the more mature adults right now that have been, you know, working for 30, 40 years with companies. Right. Uh, so it is now uh, available if 401k companies uh, have them in that mix of uh, assets, that uh, funds that they offer, and the employers want to do this, they certainly can now put these into those 401k plans as options for the participants to choose from. Now, one of the interesting things was if uh, there's sometimes a, just a default, yeah. Seth, yeah. Um, Within a 401k. So if you sign up for your 401k and you don't pick funds, there's like a default. Sure. So the new rule erases a restriction that disallowed employers from using an ESG fund uh-huh. as the default option. Uh-huh. So this is really where I think a lot of individuals may get caught in this trap. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to invest in ESG funds, you can. But if you don't participate in... With uh-huh. the investment option, uh-huh. the default may go there. There could be a default that goes into ESG funds. So I would encourage people out there, uh, if you're participating in a 401k plan and you don't want to participate in these types of funds, make sure that you're looking at this. Or uh, if you're working with advisors such as myself, then um, certainly you know talk with them and let them help you understand what options are available. And Seth, one other thing that I think is really important here is is that if you uh, are over the age of 59 and a half, mm-hmm. and many people out there do not want to um, you know, have some of these things pushed up upon them, and I totally understand that, um, you have an opportunity possibly to move money out of your 401k uh, 
into an IRA. And now you have a much broader opportunity to invest as you would like rather than just the options that are within the 401k that's offered. So that's certainly something we can help folks with as well. If you'd like to explore options about that, again, you can reach out to myself. Go to our website at grandcanyonplanning.com. This is an interesting topic, and thank you to your listener, whoever that was that did send this to you, Seth. Yeah, Edward. Edward. All right, Edward, hopefully you're listening and – uh, that is most of the skinny on this, but no, I'm sure you did a you did a great job. Yeah. I wasn't quite sure what it all involved. You did wonderful, John, as always. All You're right. the best well, teacher on this stuff. Thank you. Thank you, Seth. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finra and and Investment Advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you so much. You bet. And have another note to the yeah. audience: Yeah, John is willing. You email me if you have questions you want him to cover. He's, as you can see, <laughs> very good at it. Thank you, John. <laughs> thank you, Seth. You bet. I'm Seth, and our number. Number is 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960, This thing is ever and always going to irk me. I've never understood this. Um, I saw a lot of this in the um, in the Bush administration, particularly the second Bush administration, and way too much of it with Donald Trump. It's not as if there aren't... Well, let me tell you what the problem is that I'm witnessing. They think they are going to win over liberal journalists by giving them the credibility of their time with direct interviews. Journalists who, when they're not interviewing and sometimes flattering Republicans, who will spend all their time doing everything they can to work against the information, use classified intel, whatever they can use. And I remember seeing so much of this in the Bush administration. Why was he spending, why were his top people spending so much time the mainstream journalists that were doing everything they could to undermine his presidency. So it's not a problem unique to Donald Trump, but you just would have expected Donald Trump, or maybe not, to have learned that lesson. The story that reminded me of this, um, John is it John Solomon at Just the News, just uh, put out a story. Donald Trump sues journalist Bob Woodward and his publisher over interview recordings release. So um, Bob Woodward, Robert Woodward, the famous Washington Post uh, reporter who writes books about presidents, um, released some recordings of his interviews with Donald Trump, interviews Donald Trump gave him. And the uh, former president, Donald Trump, is now saying that he was not authorized to do so. We'll see if this suit goes anywhere, my guess it's very I think it's a hard suit to win once you give him the interview. It's his property, I believe. Um, but here's the thing that irks. You know what a throat slitter of conservatives and Republicans Bob Woodward is. How's this sentence? In January of this year, Woodward released recordings of his 20 interviews with Donald Trump. 20 interviews Donald Trump gave him. Now. I saw Donald Trump was blasting the New York Times uh, reporter Maggie Haberman for her book about him. 
But he gave her gobs of interviews, even going so far as to say, I like talking to her. She's like my psychiatrist. What kind of nonsense is this? It's such a foible that it's a foible of the worst kind. It's the foible of ego, the Greek tragedy of ego as your great downfall, where you think that because they say flattering things to you and just listen as you talk and talk and talk, they're going to take the things that make you look good and publish those things. 20 interviews with Bob Woodward. Now that in and of itself is its own special, awful lack of judgment. I wouldn't give these people any kind of time of day, much less hours upon hours of interviews. That's its own problem. But then the other side of that coin is an added problem. Are there not enough conservative outlets in this country that would give their eye teeth to have that kind of time with conservative leaders and elected officials? I'm not talking just talk radio. I mean, my gosh, there's a lot of talk radio. How many shows like this are around the country? I mean, you know, multiply it probably, I don't don't know, not every state has two major cities, but some have more. I don't know, 100? Are there 100 shows like this across the country? Maybe. And then, of course, you have your national shows, of which there are probably, I don't know, five or six great ones. And then, of course, you have outlets like Newsmax or perhaps Fox News or um, other outlets. Then you have the magazines, and then you have the podcasts. I don't know how many conservative podcasts are out there, but there are a lot, and there are some good ones. And they can't get interviews with people like that, that Bob Woodward is getting from Donald Trump, or that Maggie Haberman is getting from Donald Trump. And they would make him look much better, and they would have better reach. Instead, you give interviews to these people And your thinking is, I get the thinking. I understand the thinking outside of the ego realm. The thinking is, well, I've got to reach their readers and listeners too. Well, maybe if you speak directly to them, but if you speak to them through the knives of these political throat slitters, through the axe job, that you're the hatchet job you're going to get from these axe-wielding partisan journalists— It's going to be edited in a way to look least favorable to you. And that is the message. That is the message that you will be communicating to these voters you seem to want to communicate to. There are other ways to do it. And it's not through the sifting and the filter of the left-wing journalists. Because you give them time. They don't, you know, they don't need that flattery. It's not it's not really something for them. They don't need to interview you to feel confident in what they do. Believe you me, if you're a report, if your name is Bob Woodward or Maggie Haberman and your byline is The Washington Post and The New York Times, there's not a lot of room for your ego to grow. You've you you don't need much ego stroking. And I just wish it were also true of presidents and former presidents, elected officials. I just I do not understand it. And conservative media should be should be offended by this. I don't know. I I, I don't know if I've. I don't think I ever. I I just don't think I ever put in a request to interview Donald Trump. I just didn't think I, you know, would weigh in or bog it down. But I did. I think I got 
I think I had every member of his cabinet on at one point or another. I'm pretty sure I did. But, yeah, and the family, you're right, you're right, you're right. We had Don and Eric, and didn't we have the da- Didn't we have Laura as well, the daughter, Eric's wife? Is it Laura? Lauren, yeah. Yeah, no, we've, we've had a lot of the members of the family. I just, you know, I think it should take a special kind of, a special kind of um, credence or, or a special kind of um, something to want to interrupt the president of the United States for, for a local interview. So I, I, I've just never asked presidents for interviews, but they offered a lot, their cabinet and their family, and we did, we did them all. I had better luck with the cabinet of the presidency than I did some of our state administration at the time, I'll tell you that, which I did ask for multiple interviews from and couldn't get. But that having been said, think about a, sure, a passel of radio hosts, TV hosts, podcasters, and journalists on our side who would have asked him for these interviews or would have asked people like him for these interviews. And instead he gives, I don't know, probably 30 hours to Bob Woodward, probably 20 hours to Maggie Haberman, and they and they continue to slit his throat. Maybe it's deserved if you're going to do that. Maybe it is. But these stories always irk me. I guess it's a message of some kind or another that might filter up to collect political or elected leaders, if you're going to give time to them and, you know, maybe you give them each one chance, maybe not 20 hours or 30 hours of chances, but if you each give them a fair chance, maybe once, maybe maybe do a two to one ratio, two for your people and one for theirs. Maybe that would be a little more equitable. All right. Anyway, just something on the top of my mind. We'll be right back. A lot of you have uh, been hearing me talk about why refi for a while now, and if you still have some questions, feel free to contact them. They would look forward to that at 888-YREFI34. They can put you in touch with a lot of satisfied customers who are happily investing and getting great returns with them. Think about your IRA for a moment. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or this economy? Joe Biden's economy. Did you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds? And you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-Refi-34, 888-Y-Refi-34. Thirty-four. This is kind of an interesting, um, interesting story. Um, we're gonna we're gonna want to monitor it uh, a little bit. I started talking about it previously in the hour, and I think I had to go to a commercial break, and I meant to return to it. But if Kamala Harris thinks her ongoing shifting of communications directors and image burnishing has been going well. It laid a major egg today with the Washington Post. As I mentioned earlier, it is the most important journal. It is the most important press outlet for and of the Democratic Party in Washington, D.C. And this headline today, oh, my gosh, uh, there's probably panic, screaming, and thrown pencils in the vice president's office today. Here's the headline. I'll repeat it. Some Democrats are worried about Harris's political prospects at a pivotal point in Biden's term. Many activists are not sure the vice president has shown she is up to winning the job. I'll read you a thing of it. I'll read you an excerpt from it in just a moment. But 
Here will be an interesting test as we head into political season. See if you see more Kamala Harris or more Dr. Jill Biden on TV. See who gets more time. See who gets more time. Uh, here's the story uh, from a Washington Post reporter. Not an op-ed. As a longtime leader of the Cobb County Democrats, Jacqueline Bedapur had become highly attuned to the factors shaping her party's fortunes in her home state of Georgia. Primarily the fall, excuse me, primarily the rise and fall of Stacey Abrams, Democrats' unexpected surge in 2020, and the enduring influence of Donald Trump. Now Bedapur is worried about the political prospects of the woman positioned to be Biden's heir, and that's Vice President Harris. People are poised to pounce on anything, and so she's probably not getting the benefit of the doubt. I don't know enough about what she's doing, but it doesn't help that she's not adept as a communicator. Close quote. Such concerns about Harris's political strength were repeated often by more than a dozen Democratic leaders in key states interviewed for this story. Yeah, they're waking up that we may have our problems, but boy, howdy, do they sure have theirs. And if you work for Kamala Harris today and you see this article, which you did, you have yours there, too. 602-508-0960. Open lines. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 